Hello and welcome to the Super 90s Brothers. I am your host, Brennan Pointer. Along with me is Adam J. Pitzler. How's it going, buddy? Good, man. How are you? Bringing back the WhatsApp. Yeah, I hadn't done that in a while. Um, I think that's that's a very '90s thing to do. Totally. You know, like that. I think that was '90s or maybe early 2000s. It was definitely, like, it was definitely but, '90s. Uh, it was in a scary movie. I'm pretty sure it was like late '90s Bud Light commercial or something like that. Yeah, it, I think it came after the 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 frogs, the Bud Wise. I gotta one. tell you, some of that stuff was. Uh, Better than Dilly Dilly. I mean, I'm not, I like Dilly Dilly, but I, I don't know. I think it, you can only go with it so far. And I, I think people have taken it a bit too far for my liking. Here's the thing about like, commer- like commercials nowadays versus commercials in the 90s. In the 90s, things had to go viral by like word of mouth. And like, there was no social media. Like, people weren't getting on Facebook and like hashtagging Budweiser or WhatsApp. Like, you just had to do that with like your friends. And so, like now, like dilly dilly, like everyone's doing. There's there's memes, there's hashtags. People are posting the videos. Like, like it doesn't it it just it, it dies too quickly. Like, you know, like it just becomes like get, like it's gone and it's gone in like two weeks. Like back then, like people did was up like forever. I still did. I just <laughs> did it. I mean, I'm still doing. It. Yeah, <laughs> and I. I wrote it into a sketch comedy thing that was performed last week in San Francisco. So it's it's being uh, put out in the in the lexicon. <laughs> uh, so yeah, um, so this show is sponsored is sponsored by Budweiser. For those of you who don't know, um, dilly dilly. But um, anyways, how are you doing, buddy? Good. Well, actually, I fell down some stairs last week, and I've been limping around like. Uh, like uh, Dewey in Scream 2, like all funny and, and awkward, and I've had to tell the story. It's one of these things, like, I don't want to tell the story. You know when you get hurt, and everyone, oh, what'd you do? And you, after the first couple of times, you're really kind of sick of telling the story. Because usually, it, it makes you look stupid. Like, oh, I hurt myself doing this because I'm an idiot. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I've had to tell this, like, oh, I fell down the stairs because I'm an idiot story. Like, seriously, like 40 times. And I'm limping around. My foot's all purple and shit. It looks, you know, messed up. It just, it, it's been rough. I can't walk my dog. I haven't been running. I feel like, you know, I'm putting on weight. It's just, it's awful. I can't wait to, you know, walk again normally. Well, I'm really sorry. So you mean you've been telling the story 40 times? Why not tell it? I realized I was setting myself up for that as I was complaining about telling the story to you. (laughs) So I mean, so honestly, I and I I don't mean to sound cool or anything, but there's some confidential details that I really can't talk about right now uh, because of work. Like it's it's just it's employee stuff that I probably shouldn't put on the internet. You know what I mean? But I was. I was I was at a one of my apartment complexes where I work uh, that I oversee, and there was some stairs, and I was trying to run away because um, I was trying to not be seen at one point. And at the bottom of the st- and I was so I was quickly going down these stairs, and at the bottom of these stairs, it, it's got like this weird thing where you know like every stair is like eight inches from the next, like you you walk up eight inches, then walk up eight inches. Well, for some reason, and typically the first stair off the ground is is the same distance; it's eight inches. Well, for some reason, this first stair off the ground was only like two inches higher than like 
you know, flush with, with the ground. So when I was running down the stairs, I didn't recognize that the very last step was a step. I thought it was part of the ground because it's not eight inches up. It's like two inches up. And I couldn't tell the difference as I was rushing. And so I pretty much just missed the last stair and like kind of partially stepped on it on one. And my, all my weight went to the right side of my ankle because my foot missed it. And so all this weight came down on the right side of my foot with no ankle support, and I just sort of collapsed. Keep in mind, I'm like running away at this point. I'm trying not to be seen at this point. And I'm like crawling on the ground, like hobbling, and I like call my boss, and I'm like, man down, man down! Because <laughs> he knew what we were doing. We are trying to not be... It was like this covert military op. Anyway, so I hurt my ankle, and it's just one of those things you just got to take it easy, you know, for a while, but what do you do? No, I understand. I, I think this is the appropriate time to do this. Watch out for that first step. It's a doozy. <laughs> we, we totally did not plan that. That was a great. <laughs> so uh, yeah. Um, well, yeah. That. Um, well, I'm sorry to hear that, Adam. I, you know, I hope this doesn't really, uh, you know, affect you too much this weekend when we hang out in San no, Diego. No, no. I don't. So. I think I'll be. I mean, I can get around. I just can't. I mean, the only thing is, I'm walking with a limp now. Like that's it. So I'll, I'll be fine. And um, and who knows? That's like another four or just, five days away. Maybe I'll be. Well, two days, three days. Anyway, yeah, whatever. Yeah, it's Friday. Anyways, um, so yeah, the, if you if you haven't caught on already, the the show we're doing this week is Groundhog, Groundhog Day. Day. Um, and I is that was there a, a theme song to Groundhog Day? Uh, it was the Sunny and Cher song. Yeah, the you know I got you, babe. That's the song that keeps playing again and again on his radio every morning that he wakes up. So that's kind of like the unofficial song. There's also like this polka song that they played that well, I'll get into that more later. Um, it's like strike up the music and let's have some fun. Da 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 da. Cause it's a day of polka. And then so it's, pretty much just repeat. Oh God, pretty yeah. much just repeats after, that. <laughs> you know, it's polka. So part of the reason why we're doing this show is because first of all, we were supposed to do it like three weeks ago when it was, when groundhog day was like actually like upon us. Um, but we kind of been half-assing and haven't got around to recording this episode yet. And second, you were in groundhogs. You were in, you weren't in the movie. You went to it. You actually went to Poxitoni, uh, Philo- uh, not Philadelphia, but, um, Pennsylvania. And, uh, we'll talk about that more later, but like, it's very topical right now. Cause it's, it's, you know, it's it's here. It's happened, and we're not gonna have we're gonna have a we're gonna have a long winter. And it's currently like ten degrees in Spokane, so that totally yeah, makes sense. And it was ten degrees so. in Punxsutawney too. So I think the groundhog knew what the hell he was talking about. Um, but but real. But before we <laughs> before we get into too much of the show, I did want to uh, take a moment to thank the fans and uh, tell you guys about all the awesome support we've been getting. Brennan, why don't you tell them a little bit about our numbers and how they can contact us? Yeah, um, our numbers are, my number is 509-280. No, but if you want to, if you want to email the show, it's uh, Super 90s Brothers. It's all spelt out, um, Super 90s Brothers at gmail.com. And you can contact us there, ask us any questions. You know, I still will, I'll still, if anyone ever sends me a question, I promise I will send them a $25 gift card to Amazon, which is something that we on that we, like said in this show, like probably like last season, but like, I really want someone to like this email us, you know, like we, we do have a lot of people listening to the show. We just don't have a lot of, um, 
you know, communication with our fans or our listeners, I should say. And, uh, you know, put that question out on Facebook. Um, send us an email. Um, hashtag us on Twitter or add us on Twitter or on Twitter as well at uh, Super 90s Brothers. That's not spelled out. It's a Super 90 and then bros. Um, and, yeah, just contact us. Let's 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 start some conversations. Give us some ideas for some shows. Ask us some stupid questions, too. Um, you know, I, I'm, I still get my emails from my mom asking us questions, but, uh, you know, we can only we can only get so many questions from our moms. Yeah, that's true. Um, so anyway, we do appreciate all the listens. You guys, uh, it means a lot to us that people are listening to our show. But um, yeah, interact with us too because we'd love to make it a, a more interactive process about what shows we review and what questions about the shows that we're reviewing you have. We'd love to um, sort of sort of marry the two. So anyway, uh, Super Nineties Bros, kicking ass, and you guys are part of it. So thank you so much. Um, but yeah. Let's let's segue uh, uncomfortably into uh, sort of the meat and potatoes of the film Groundhog Day, which I think is is a great great film um, on multiple levels, um, starring Bill Murray and uh, Andy McDowell. Um, so let, let's just let's go back to the genesis. 1992, you Brennan Pointer, a young boy of eight, you know, frolicking you know on the sidewalk in your short shorts and baseball cap. And, uh, yeah, you've got an opportunity to see Groundhog Day around that time. Did you, or, or when did you first see it? And tell me a little bit about how you remember, first remember it. Groundhog Day to me, I don't, so I, like you said, we were eight years old when this movie came out, um, 1992. I, I don't, I didn't see this in the theater. Um, I think what I probably remember of it is we probably watched it as a family downstairs and like our living room and watched it as a, like, and I enjoyed it as a kid. It was a fun movie. It was a, you know, at the time it was a very like interesting idea for a movie that someone would be reliving day after day after day. And I think for like an eight year old kid, that was like an idea that you could, you could actually understand for an adult themed movie. Like it was actually something that, you know, made sense. Um, and, and the movie itself is very like, you know, even though it isn't a kind of has adult themes, it still like is kind is very approachable for, you know, kids, which is why I think it still stands today as being like a very like remembered movie is because like kids did watch it and it, you know, people still enjoy it. And it's just one of those movies that like, I don't know if they meant to do this, but like, it's just, it, it takes a really weird <laughs> uncelebrated holiday and kind of like, I, I mean, I would like to remember like what ho- Groundhog Day meant to people before Groundhog Day movie. But I ha- would imagine that this movie like totally just like made Groundhog Day even more humongous. Like I imagine if like if Groundhog Day like had a, a marketing company that this would like <laughs> would have been a good idea to do. <laughs> but I'm sure it was unintentional. You know, I actually, I actually know what happened. So I read... Um, during my, some of my screenwriting courses, we read about this guy that wrote this film. Um, I think his name is Danny Rubin or Rubin. I'm not sure how to say it, but he he had this idea. And a lot of screenwriters or storytellers will tell you that they have a lot of ideas in their head at all times, the things they'd like to do, but some of them aren't aren't really flushed out. Well, anyway, he had this idea of this person going traveling through history, um, you know, through all the colonial wars and and through different countries. And him, like, learning about himself as this guy goes through history, sort of uh, always stuck in these major events. And and somebody got a hold of him and, and told him that 
that it's a good idea, but the the budget for that is is just it's not going to be something that a first time or an un, relatively unknown screenwriter is going to get greenlit on. And a lot of screeners will talk to you about this, about how your first project needs to be budget friendly because somebody's taking a chance on you. So he sort of edited the story down to, to this guy doing it in one town day after day and learning about himself. And that's, that's his most basic premise is there's a guy who has to relive his life day after day to learn who he is really. And he had been like a journalist in his past, as a lot of writers have. And at one point, some crappy little newspaper that he worked for may, sent him to Punxsutawney to cover Groundhog Day. And and he said that he was um, he was trying to pick like a lesser known holiday to center the story around. And he started like January first and just started going through the calendar. And you know, February second, relatively early early in that process, and he had the personal knowledge of Groundhog Day. Bam, that's how Grand Hawk Day got chosen, and that's how it's become the phenomenon we know today. It's just sort of a, a happenstance of, of l- lucky events in the screenwriter's life that led to such a, you know, kind of quirky, but very relatable film. Yeah, it's, it totally is. Yes, it's a very, you know, it's very relatable. And uh, yeah, I wonder what other, like, holidays before that, did he, do you think he was, like, looking at Martin Luther King Day as, like, a day? Yeah, probably. Probably not. It's, uh, I think Dodge Ram showed us that white people should stay away from like putting their name on Martin Luther King Day, especially in regards to like a truck or like you know a man learning about himself. I, I think I think Martin Luther King Day is probably a little bit bigger than both those things. I, I imagine he went with like he, I imagine he went with New Year's Day, and then he like then he like saw like another day, and then it, yeah. Anyways, that's that's really interesting. I that's good yeah, to know. So, Quick tangent um, on that uh, Martin Luther King Day comment. So, <laughs> I, I you saw the Super Bowl ad with the Dodge Ram, and it was like so pretentious, right? Yes. Okay. Well, did you see the other ad at the end of the Super Bowl in the fourth quarter about Jeep Wrangler? And it was like, it was just a Jeep like driving over rocks out in like a muddy river somewhere, and there was like this sort of like no nonsense narrator going, "Some car ads like to say grand things." And tell you all about your life. Those are called manifestos. And then you just finish you finish watching the Jeep like crawl up this crazy rock formation. And he goes, There's your manifesto. And then it goes, Jeep. And I was like, that's such a good ad in stark contrast to the Dodge Ram commercial. And I was watching it, I was watching it with Big Chris. He goes, You know they're owned by the same company. I was like, oh shit, he's right. And I I suddenly had this like thought that there was like two, there's like Don Draper. And, like, one other marketing guy, like, in a room. And, like, the Richard Serling is, like, telling each of them, like, you work for Jeep and you work for Dodge. He's like, I want this big grand manifesto for our Super Bowl commercial. And the one douchebag marketing rep is like, oh, my God, I'm going to use Martin Luther King, you know, you know, speech. <laughs> and the other guy's, like, watching this first guy's, like, commercial play out with Martin Luther King's speech to the back of Dodge Ram and going, this is so stupid. And he makes this <laughs> commercial for Jeep, which is just, like, anti-everything that guy just did i don't know if that's what happened but that's my theory i mean that's a that's a being in marketing that's interesting to think about i want i bet they use two different agencies and they got two different things so yeah um well uh, anyway uh so anyways <laughs> sorry back to ground back to yeah back to groundhog day <laughs> yeah so that's how the date was chosen cool um so i guess i mean kind of so when did you see it? Did you see it in theaters? No. Did you go? No, I mean, I was a kid. This wasn't like, as you said, this wasn't like a movie that would naturally jump out to kids. You know what I mean? Like it, right, it wasn't yeah. exactly 
you know, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles of our time. But, <laughs> but luckily, I got, I, we flew to Tennessee. So this, this came out around Groundhog Day in 1993. We flew to Tennessee that summer. So it must have just came out. Came out. And I had to watch it on the, I, I got to watch it on the plane ride from Seattle to Tennessee in the summer of 1993. And I thought it was like really good. And I like, at the time it kind of struck me because I, you know, you're eight years old. You don't usually like movies like that as a kid, but it's kind of what you said. There was, there was a lot of stuff for kids in there anyway, because it, it's easy for kids to understand what's happening. I don't think you understand some of the greater themes, but that's okay. You still enjoy it. And Bill Murray's like, you know, hysterical. And uh, so, yeah, I, I saw it on a plane when it had complete captive audience. But it was weird because I was watching it by myself, more or less. I wasn't sitting with my parents. So I, I pretty much watched this movie alone as an eight-year-old kid on a plane. And it, it left a great impression on me. And I always thought it was good. And then in Mount, at Mount Spokane High School, you and my high school alma mater, um, yes. Mr. Inman... You remember him? He was an English teacher. He was kind of a hippie old Indian dude. Yeah, Mr. Inman. Oh man, Mr. Inman was like uh he was a hippie. He was like he was he's na- he, um I'm not sh- he's Native American. Uh and yeah, and he was um, always getting arrested at protests. <laughs> yeah, back in like the 70s, he used to get arrested no, all the time. When, he, like no, back when we were in school, he was getting arrested. Like a pro- we always had a sub- oh, really? we always had sub teachers cuz he was in jail. <laughs> That's awesome! I, I didn't realize. That. I know he was really he was uh, really cool. So anyway, yeah, he his, he marched with Martin Luther King. Oh, did, oh, did he? <laughs> he, he? He went. He yeah, he went down like back in the seventies or sixties. Yeah, he had marched with Martin yeah, Luther King. Eat, eat yeah, that Dodge Ram commercial. You don't hear him quoting the speech. <laughs> anyway, anyway, so Mister Inman made us watch this movie in mythology, and I remember thinking that was so weird that he was having us watch this like early nineties comedy, and this was around two thousand two thousand one or so. But as we were watching it, and he was sort of explaining to us all these greater, you know, universal themes that go into this movie and why he likes it so much, he really sold me on the idea that it's just really kind of a great movie. And so I I had to write this big term paper about it, and I thought it was like one of the, I mean, I I like movies. I don't, I'm I'm a good writer, so it was like a kind of a fun, easy A for me. So I was really into it. And Mr. Inman's kind of the one that I think you know, showed me how good it was. You know, I always liked it, but I didn't realize how good it was. And I think it's like, and I don't have this in front of me, I want to say it's like 89% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. I'm going to look, yeah, I'm going to look I, it up while we talk. So go ahead. Yeah. I mean, as far as, you know, you know, when did you realize it was great? Um, you know, I don't know if I ever did realize it was great. I actually, like, I think, you talk us talking about it right now is making me realize how <laughs> good this movie actually so, is. Like so, I didn't go back. So and, our pod, I didn't, I didn't our go, podcast is what made you realize it was great. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're so really like I, you know, it's been on TV like the last like you know month, um, off and on like ninety six percent critics critic score. Oh, nice. No, that's ridiculously high for a nineties comedy. Are you kidding me? A nineties comedy yeah, at ninety six percent. That's nuts. That's that is really good. Um, yeah. So I mean, it it it's just a the movie just transcends time, basically. Like even for being in the nineties, even though like catching like I like I didn't go rewatch it. I've watched kind of some clips of it, even for it being like a nineties movie and like having that like dated feel. It doesn't feel dated, like mm-hmm. in in a strange way. Um, like it should feel dated, but it just feels, 
it just feels like a good like it's just a good movie it's just and bill murray like so yeah let's get into like you know yeah what's appealing to you about it like what characters what scenes what do you like about it i just i think this this movie came out at a time in bill murray's career when he was just kind of on top of the like he was you know one of the most you know sought after actors like he was off he had he was off Ghostbusters and um, and he was just he was at the top of like where Bill Murray was at. I would actually probably would say that this is probably the pinnacle of his career, wouldn't you say? Like it kind of like I mean, if you go through his like if you go through his filmography, like he had just done What About Bob? He came off of you know. Ghostbusters 2, uh, Scrooge is a great movie with him. Um, and, but then if you go kind of like after, after it, like it kind of just goes downhill from that. I guess he does, he did have a, he did do Rushmore in the 98, which is a really, really good movie. But like, it's, this is just a quintessential yeah, you, Bill Murray movie. Like this is, this is, this is Bill Murray. The one thing I will say about it is that it is Bill Murray. If you, like, if you take Wes Anderson out of Bill Murray's career, he pretty much fell off a cliff after this movie. But isn't that a lot of actors? Like, they all have, like, Tom Hanks has Steven Spielberg. Like, Leonardo DiCaprio has Martin Scorsese. Like, they like they all, like, have, like, people, like, like, I mean, yeah. I mean, Wes Anderson did take Bill Murray and kind of made him a better actor. Or probably, you know, but, like, it's just kind of, but, you know, Bill Murray also seems kind of young in this movie. And then he just started getting old. Like this is ninety three, and then like the next movie that like he's like really good in is like Rushmore, and he's really he seems older in that, and then he just gets older and older and older as time goes on. Like he actually seemed young in Groundhog Day. Um, you know that's that's interesting. I wonder how old he is. So he is born in nineteen fifty. So he was forty two when he filmed Groundhog Day, and by the time he did Rushmore, he was like forty eight. So, you know, yeah. early 40s to late. Yeah, that's about when you start to see it, isn't it? Yeah, I guess that is true. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, the, he's the, yeah, he's he's the, the centerpiece of this movie. There's nothing, there. this movie wouldn't be anything without him. Um, I was reading, you know, I was reading the list of, like, potential actors that were, that were going to play it uh, originally. Tom Hanks was gonna like had been asked about doing the movie. Tom Hanks, um, can you guess the other one? Uh, Michael Keaton. Mm, not him. John Travolta um, was asked, and then there was one other guy that I that's really famous that I don't. Well, remember. it says Michael um, Keaton on Wikipedia, and which would make oh, was Michael, Keaton. which would make sense because okay. Keaton had just done Batman, and then later. Keaton and Ramis work together on multiplicity, which I think is really funny, but we won't get into that too much today. Maybe another show in a couple of I years. I love that movie, by the way, multiplicity. I, I don't really remember that well, but uh, <laughs> anyways, yeah, I mean. Okay, so so Bill Murray the, the, Bill the Murray does it for you. The, yeah, Bill Murray is, I mean, I mean it's, a, it's an easy out to saying that he's the best character in the movie, but he's like. You're hot for Bill Murray. Really, the, he's. He's really the only other character that I think is like when you and your wife really, when you really when good. you and your wife get heavy petting, you look at photos of Bill Murray beforehand to get worked up. 
that is not true. Okay, well, I heard from a reliable source that it was, but we'll just leave it there. Anyway, uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he's great. Uh, some of the other great characters of the film, you know, uh, you, you mentioned this on the pre-show talk, Ned Ryerson, Needle Nose, Ned the Head. Yeah, bing! That guy, the guy, the insurance salesman who keeps coming every single day. That's such a funny shtick, by the way, because that is how salesmen are. Like, it, it might as well be different days with salesmen. They're going to approach you, like, again and again and again, try and sell whatever crap they have on them to you. Um, so he was really good. I really, I mean, he's not a big character, but I thought Chris Elliott as, like, the cameraman van driver guy was actually really funny in this movie. But, like, sort of in the... He was, like, background funny, which I think is a really hard skill to have. I think a lot of people can only be spotlight funny. And to be background funny means that you're not only really funny, but you're also unselfish. So, I mean, I I think both those guys... I mean, there's... Every character in the movie is kind of funny because they all have that sort of, like, twangy, you know, kind of backwoodsy attitude style, which is so true for Punxsutawney, let me tell you. Um, so... Uh, Harold Ramis, when he was scouting to do this movie, he like went to Punxsutawney at, to, and visited the festival. And he said, by the end of the day, he was like, "There's no way we're filming this here, <laughs> like, because it's just it's just one tiny little piece of crap town." So they they shot it they shot it near Chicago and just sort of faked that they were at this same little park. In fact, a couple friends of mine from college were actually in this movie as extras when they were kids. Oddly enough, because they lived in Chicago at the time. But, uh, oh, really? Yeah. Um, do you, do, you, do you think they shot it in Chicago for Bill Murray? Do you think, like, do you think they did that for him so he could be close to home? I doubt. I, I, I would bet you it was just agreed upon for. I mean, there's, there's a hundred factors to go into why you film a movie a certain place. And the actors, the primary actor's preference might be one of them on a much, much lower budget film, but something like this, I, I would really doubt it. Um, so, yeah, so let's let's talk about the 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 movie a little bit. Was there a was there a scene or a sequence? Because you know the movie kind of goes through these tiers. Where like at first he's like he's sort of learning that he's trapped, and then he's sort of abusing that he's trapped, and then he's sort of trying to kill himself, and then he decides that he's gonna like go after Annie McDowell, who's smoking hot by the way, and she's one of these women that you don't appreciate how good looking she is when you're a kid, and then you become an adult and you're like, wow, she's actually really, really pretty. And her and she like stands the test of time too. She's one of these she's like one of these naturally beautiful women that wasn't just hot for a year when they were at the perfect age of twenty three. Hashtag Elijah Cuthbert. Like they kept being hot after that, you know what I mean? <laughs> uh for sure. Like yeah, she's very she's a very beautiful woman and she uh yeah, I mean, she. I don't. I'm trying to think of other movies she was in, but like in multiplicity. But yeah, she was. Oh, she in multiplicity. Yeah, That's and funny. she was in. Uh, is it called Secrets, Lies, and Videotape, or something like that? Yes, Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Sex, she was in that. Yeah, she was really oh, pretty in that too. She was in Hudson Hawk. Yeah, I remember that. Okay. Um. Oh, and Michael, another like. Oh, I hate. She's in a lot. I hate of, Michael. Michael's, yeah. Michael's a terrible movie, but I remember <laughs> seeing. I remember seeing the movie. Yeah. Um. But yeah, oh, and she's in Town and Country. I love Town and Country. Oh, I haven't um, seen that. Anyways, um, but yeah, my favorite sequence is probably it's probably the sequence when he's like he's like he's real he's like he's gotten past all the like trying to like he's gotten past like learning about him being in the same day over and over again, getting past the like you know self destructive phase, and getting into the point where he's like 
he's like playing the piano. He's like answering all the Jeopardy questions right. He's like learning how to like ice sculpt and all this stuff. Yeah. Like when he starts like really like discovering, like taking advantage of like, hey, this is what I can do for every you know learning how to do stuff that jeopardy um, scene is so funny and then by the end he like answers the question before he finishes reading it and the old people are like oh! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah and I, I think that was a very that like that's a fun sequence and the, when i think about it, like there are a lot of like a lot of sequences in the movie like i mean that are like that they have a lot of like uh you know my those sequences. My favorite part, and there's a word, there's like a screenwriting term for it. It's, I think it's called like uh, the dark pit of despair moment or something like that. When he, when he decides that he's going to kidnap the groundhog and like murder it, essentially, <laughs> which <laughs> which is a really, I mean, now in this political environment, it'd be it'd be really hard for anybody to write a scene about murdering a groundhog and make it funny and, like, have it work with the movie and make you not hate the character. But it's like, if there's anybody who can do it, it's Bill Murray, right? Like, he's so... Right. He's, like, so funny. He's The way he starts talking on his, like, uh, news show where he's like, this winter's never going to end. And he's like, it. he has to be stopped. Like, he sort of, like, snaps. He's like, the gro- I have to stop the groundhog. And before you know it, he's in, like, this chase around this quarry with this little cute groundhog in the car, and he essentially, and then he eventually just drives off a cliff, and they all just sort of watch it blow up. Oh man, that that was great to me because that's I feel like that's what I like. If I feel like I put myself in the situation, and I was trapped, and there was this groundhog saying that winter was never going to end. That's what I would do. I would like murder the groundhog. Like, <laughs> so maybe trying, I, I related to that. <laughs> trying to trying to figure out how to how to get out of this loop, how like the best way. Yeah, uh, yeah. How, what that. I was reading some trivia of like how long he spent in like in the loop and it's very, you know, it's very mixed, like mixed people think like, Oh, it was eight years. It was uh, 12 years or it was like 34 years, something like that. And, uh, but apparently only 38 days were depicted in the, in the entire film. Like each, like when they're doing the whole sequence, but uh, what would you say? Like how long, how long do you think he was stuck in this? Well, like how do you not, you know, that's, that's interesting because this was one of the questions that I had to answer for Mr. Inman's like term paper. I specifically remember this question. It was like, how long do you think he was trapped in this world to find himself? And I wrote a, what I thought was a logical, cause they don't say it. I wrote what I thought was a logical answer. And that was six weeks because the groundhog sees six more weeks of winter. You know what I mean? And I thought that was, that's a logical answer. But then, I actually got docked on that, and I remember, like, his red pen on my paper saying something like, for him to have mastered the piano the way he did and learned to ice sculpt and all this, he must have spent several years finding himself, which is... And then he said something about, like, how that's what men need. You know, men need several years to find themselves and search for their souls and all that. So he he took the more... He took the the grandeur position, but I was just being practical because I thought it was a theme of the movie, six more weeks of winter, you know? Yeah, of course. According to Obsessed with Film, they claim that he was trapped for twelve thousand four hundred three days, just under thirty four years, in order to account for becoming a master piano player, ice sculptor, sculptor, and etc. So, uh, let me tell you, if you if you lived any day for thirty four years and you just kept doing it again and again and again, when you finally break out of that loop, I don't know about you, but I would feel kind of scared, like I'm mortal again. I don't know. There's something. There's something appealing to me about being immortal, even if no one else knows. Yeah, that's true. Like, 
what if like being trapped in a in a loop every day meant like you were just like that was that was your afterlife like that's what afterlife is is you're you're stuck in this day for the rest of your life like so it, we it brings so, it brings up very like interesting ideas of, like what would you do if that well, was what you well, did every day i think that's one of the reasons that makes this movie great and one of the reasons that mr inman like wanted to focus on it and anyway jill loves this movie so we watch groundhog day like every year and it was one of our like sort of bucket list items to go to groundhog day one year which we'll get to in a sec um, so and she, Jill recently asked me, Adam, if you could relive one day over and over again, which would it be? And she batted her long, pretty eyelashes at me. And I go, oh, like, don't hesitate at all. I go, Super Bowl, like Super Bowl 48 Seahawks over Denver. Like, I just like, <laughs> I just like awesome. crush her little bubble. And I'm going to say like the day we met or something. Oh man. Super Bowl 48 awesome. to me was my best, like my favorite day ever. So. Anyway, that's that's me, right? If if I had to relive like a day over again, like from my like life, I would probably just like want to like pick like some random like nice summer day where you could like do stuff outdoors or you could just like veg inside. Like that's probably what I would do. Yeah, I I didn't think about my answer because I realized immediately after saying it that if I saw them, if I saw the Seahawks blow out the Broncos more than like a handful of times. It would it would probably start to lose a little of its luster, and I couldn't not go every day because my mom would be there and she'd be expecting to go and she wouldn't know and I wouldn't be able to celebrate and be actually it all it's almost like hell when you put it that way because it's like the greatest go- ever and I can't enjoy it is what it would be. <laughs> what if like the uh, one of like that was like you had to experience like a different. Seahawk outcome every time though. Wouldn't no, that, that be- no, that would be worth it because at least you're but, seeing a new a new game every time. But what if they ended? What if your loop ended when the Seahawks lost? Eh, I, I don't know. I I, I would. Feel more, <laughs> I don't know. I you know what I would do is I would start trying to affect the outcome of the game somehow. You know what I mean? Like I would run out onto the field right before Peyton Manning like takes the safety on the opening snap to throw them all off. And maybe that changes the crowd and maybe they don't fumble the snap. And I would see how that would affect the game. You know what I mean? Like I would try and tamper with the game so that I could see the cause and effect. Cause that's just kind of quirky. guy I am, I guess. So I, I think I lied when I, I well, not lied. I think I over thought about how much we could talk about this movie without talking about the actual movie. <laughs> that's kind of what, that's kind of what we're good at. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right like this is this movie such this movie is so well known with people i mean i would imagine like out of all the movies we've done this is probably the most familiar like we don't really need to like favorite characters like yeah like i i would say like actually annie mcdowell's character is the most boring character in this movie like i mean she's a good character but it's just like um yeah love interest characters are always yeah you know like it it must be a really the men like, and she's also having to play the same person day after day after day after day, like trying to maintain that same like. So as an actor, I imagine it might be a little bit harder. Like at least Bill Murray, like you know, got to be a different type of Bill Murray every day, or when he filmed different scenes, like a good one or a bad one. Um, but like for her, she had to be the same one. But anyways. Um, it's a rewatchable. I think we've covered that. Like it's definitely rewatchable, and it's you can I you can do it either way. You can watch it from start to finish, or you can like just 
or you can just pick it up in the middle of a movie and like totally know, totally. Exa- know, know exactly where you're at. Um, so let's. I want to get into what we why we're really doing this. Why we're really doing this. <laughs> I want to know the story of why you went to Poxitani and you went and experienced Groundhog Day firsthand. Like you, you went right, to right. you went to Pennsylvania. You flew into Pittsburgh. The all right. Let, know, me, the let me let me start from Pittsburgh. Let me start from the beginning then. All right. Thanks for the the lead up. Um, all right. So I I told you Jill loves this movie. And I told you that going to Groundhog Day was like a bucket list item for me. And like, as I get older, actually, it's not even age. I've always been like this. I'm just not like that into material possessions. Like I'm not into like new cars and I I don't know. I've got, I wear like the, I've worn the same like t-shirts for like 10 years. I'm just not like, I don't, material things don't make me happy, but experiences do. Like I love to go to football games. I love to meet friends. I'm excited to fly to San Diego and hang out with you this weekend. Like those, those are the things that I like. And so um, I've been thinking a little differently about like Christmas presents and birthday presents the last couple years. And I've been trying to like do experiences instead. And so this last Christmas, the end of 2017, I decided I was going to give gift, give Jill the gift of going to Groundhog Day, which I knew she always wanted to do. So anyway, I bought the tickets and all that. And she like opened up a little card on Christmas to say what we were doing. And she got all excited. So, um, we fly in the so Groundhog Day is on a Friday this year, keep in mind. So Jill and I both take like Thursday and Friday off. We get up super early on Thursday. We get up at like 6 a.m. to fly to Pittsburgh. And uh, we get there around like 4. We had like an hour layover in Chicago. But really the reason it's so late is there's a three-hour time shift. So it would have been like our 1 o'clock ends up being like 4 o'clock there, you know? Mm-hmm. So we get to Pittsburgh, and I have to rent a car because Punxsutawney is like – two hours inland from Pittsburgh. It's, it's not, like, nearby. You have to drive through all these, like, like rolling hills where there's, like, there's, like, nothing to look at except, like, every, like, 15 minutes, there's, like, a gas station and, like, a church. Like, that's, like, that's seriously the kind of country you're in. And um, so I rent this car, like a Hyundai, and we, we drive... We drive, we just start driving through Pittsburgh and we hit like rush hour traffic and it's like sleeting on us. It's like 35 degrees and rainy and it's gray and cold. And I'm like, man, you know, bad weather, bad timing. So we go to, we start driving inland and Jill said that all the hotels in Punxsutawney were booked up. Like you couldn't stay there the night before. So we actually stay at this Hilton at a little town outside of Punxsutawney called Indiana. So we're in Indiana, Pennsylvania at this Hilton hotel and like everybody there is there to see the groundhog by the way. So we, it's like nasty out and I'm driving a rental car. So we decide to just like hang out at the hotel bar. Cause there's like nothing to do around here either. By the way, you're in the middle of nowhere. Like it's not like you go across the street to the movie theater or something. Like if you don't want to go hang out at the church or the salad bar, there's just like nothing else to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we're, <laughs> we're in the hotel, just, you know, kind of drinking, having a few, having a good time. And I got to tell you, I like, I like go to, um, <clears throat> I go to the bathroom and I swear to God, like two creepy guys, like hit on me in the bathroom, like in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Pennsylvania. Like, seriously, I thought it was like deliverance. Like, seriously, I'm like, there's like two dudes hitting on me. Like one dude like blew on me as I walked by, I swear to God. And then some other dude, I'm like washing my hands to get out of the bathroom. And he's so gross. He's got the door open. He's yelling to his friend. He's like, yeah, I got to go drop a deuce or something. I'm like, oh, gross. 
And he goes into the stall, and I'm washing my hands. Then he comes back out of the stall. He points at me and looks me in the eye and goes, I see you. And then goes back in the stall to take a shit. I was so freaked out. I felt like I joined the Me Too movement. You, you, don't, you don't know what they want. You know what I mean? These guys want to rape me. It was so creepy and gross. So I finished washing my hands, and we go like, I'm like, Jill, let's go to bed. It's like 9 o'clock. There's creepy dudes in the bathroom. I don't want them to see where we go. We're going to our bedroom. So anyway... We're right in the elevator up to our floor, and there's this other family there to do Groundhog Day. And we're not really talking to them, but we're, I mean, you could hear them because we're all in the same elevator. And the dad's like, okay, we all got to get up around like 2 o'clock to go to Groundhog Day. And the mom's like, yep, the festivities start at 3 a.m. And I'm like, wait, wait, what was that? Like, what did they say? And, uh, and Jill and I kind of look at each other like puzzle, like 3 a.m. Like we thought we'd get there at like, you know, 9. We'd roll out, we'd roll out of bed, get some breakfast, go down there. So we get online. The damn thing starts at 3 a.m. 3 a.m. in the morning. That's a thing in like Punxsutawney. Like, so, oh my God, we're looking at mm-hmm. this. Up. You have to get there at 3 a.m. to get the best spots in like Gobbler's Knob, which is a funny name for the park that Punxsutawney like speaks his mind in. Gobbler's knob, seriously. So <laughs> I, I tell Jill, I was like, look, there's no way there's no way we're gonna be there at 3 a.m. That's nuts. And she goes, Okay, well, can we at least wake up at 3 a.m. to leave? I was like, Oh my god. And she kind of convinced me that's like, we're there to do this, right? We're there to to see Groundhog Day. Can you uh can you, you know, can we do this hundred percent, like full board? I was like, all right, you know, we'll get up early. The fucking alarm goes off at 3 a.m. in the middle of bumfuck nowhere, Pennsylvania. Jill, Jill's getting ready, you know, which takes an hour. And uh, we finally get up. We get outside. It is so cold, Brennan. It's like five degrees, and there's been an ice storm overnight. So our rent... <laughs> Our rental car is like frozen over. It's like one giant ice cube. And I was like, oh my God. And so I go to turn the car on and it needs to heat up for like 15 minutes. And in the meantime, I'm trying my ass off to scrape ice off of the car with the, you know, rental car mandated ice scraper, which isn't that good, by the way. Also, I'm completely out of practice because I've been living in California for almost six years now. I haven't scraped a car in six years. Proud of that. But, you know, it's a skill that you you need in these types, and I didn't have it. So, finally, we get the car all defrosted. And then Jill, who had told me we were about 20 minutes out of Punxsutawney, she says the next thing to me, Adam, I'm sorry, I made a mistake. We're actually, like, 45 minutes out of Punxsutawney. I was like, ah, okay, no big deal. So, we get on the freeway, and I've got to do, like, 15 miles an hour. Because it's icy as fuck, it's snowing, and, like, I'm in a rental car, you know? So I'm, like, not comfortable driving. You know when you're in your car, you kind of know all your blind spots and everything? You're in a rental car, it's a little foreign, you know what I mean? For sure, yeah. So so it takes us forever to get there. It takes us, like, an hour and 15 minutes to drive what we thought was a 20-minute drive. We finally roll in there about 5.30, 5.45 a.m., and uh, they tell you to all meet at this one Walmart, which classy, right? So we, we, we get to this Walmart and it is a zoo. It is a part and it's like 530 in the morning. It is a zoo. It's like the outside of Seahawks Stadium before a game. There are cars everywhere. There's people everywhere. There's people with like, you know, Punxsutawney Phil shirts and Punxsutawney Phil signs. There's people with all these signs saying, I'm getting married today. And I'll get into more of that later. So we go to Walmart and we got to get cash because the bus. So they want to take you from a bus from the Walmart to this little park where they do the ceremony because there's no parking at the park. So we have to go into Walmart to buy, to get cash because we don't have any cash and we needed something else too. Like Jill was cold or something. So we 
we finally get so that we get inside this bus and it's like a school bus literally that we get into in the back lot alleyway of Walmart with like 40 other people all dressed like the kids from a Christmas story. You know, all like ticks that are about to pop and we can't put our arms down. You know what I mean? Because it's so cold. We're in this bus and you can see our breath like fogging up the whole bus like 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 uh, the sixth sense like all of us are seeing dead people at once and then like it's it's cold it's dark there's no nobody's talking and then out of nowhere somebody starts like chanting phil 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 and before we know it like the whole bus is chanting phil 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 and we're it's again it's 5 45 in the morning on a school bus in the pitch dark behind a walmart alleyway and jill and i look at each other like this what the hell did we get ourselves into like what are we doing here <laughs> So, so they drive us to the park and we get out and they've got like this really dorky like FM radio DJs up on stage singing all these like bad parody songs of like Punxsutawney Phil. You know, like uh, Ca- California Dreamin' is like Punxsutawney Dreamin' and stuff like that. The best one was they did this, they did this song about the the freedom train it was it's like this old it's like this old song that's actually about the harriet tubman freedom train it's like this train don't take no sleepers this train and i don't know why i remember this from grade school but they started singing this weird like punxsutawney phil version of it and i'm thinking i wonder if like the actual harriet tubman like freedom railroad would be offended by this (laughs) (laughs) you're about punxsutawney but anyway, so there's these dorky radio DJs, like, trying to make everything big, and they just can't. A half hour before the Groundhog comes out, they play this, like, awesome firework festival, which was really cool, and, like, everyone was into it, and I recorded it, and I put it on Facebook, and then, um, and then like, a few minutes before the festival, these, like, dorky, like, butler dudes with top hats, like, start coming, like, the the sea of people. And there was a sea, let me tell you, in this little tiny park in the middle of bumfuck Egypt, nowhere, Punxsutawney, there had to have been 10,000 people there. 10,000 people all crammed into this park, like, standing, like, elbow to elbow in 10-degree weather, like, sucking each other's body heats, like penguins in the Antarctic. Like, that's what, that's what it was like. And anyway, then the sea of people just, like, part at one point, and all these dorky dudes with top hats start walking down like their like their shit don't stink. And one of them's carrying like this giant box. And he comes out onto the stage, and they bring out Phil, who's who's what everybody's there to see. Oh, and I should I should mention at, at every interval possible, the entire crowd will start chanting Phil without notice, like 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 the Seahawks chant only Phil. It's like Phil. Phil, Phil, like as loud as you can imagine. And people are like dancing and bumping and grinding to Phil music, like dropping it like it's hot. Like it was so funny. So they bring out Phil and he's just this cute little rodent, right? He's just a groundhog. They bring out, they hold him up for everyone to see all the camera flash photography. He goes nuts. And then some dude reads a scroll that allegedly Phil pointed to or put in his mouth earlier that day so we're led to believe and the guy the scroll says something like unfortunately phil definitely sees his shadow like he does every year by the way and we're gonna get six more weeks of winter and then for some reason there's like one portion of the audience is like yeah and then everyone else like booed them down tremendously like what are you cheering for (laughs) it's literally eight degrees outside how are you cheering for this oh my god 
Okay, so then the ceremony's over, right? And it's it's only like 7.15, 7.30 in the morning at this point. The ceremony's over. And then, like, you know, like, cockroaches, when the lights turn on, everyone vanishes, like, right away. People could not have left sooner. It was so cold. Everyone, like, instantly left. And, and the tricky thing was that if you bust in, you had to bust out. Otherwise, it was a two-mile walk, like, through the wilderness, <laughs> which did not look good at all. So we're all waiting to get back on these buses, and this is when it was at its coldest. Because we're not, we're not standing next to each other, absorbing each other's heat anymore. We're not down inside the nook, inside the park. We're, we're all it's literally standing around in the freezing cold wind, waiting for these buses to come carry us out. And of course, the buses are moving at a snail's pace, and they're not full. It felt like Titanic. When, when, like, all the women and children are being, like, carted off and you're staying in, like, the icy water going, give me some of that damn painting, Rose. Shit. You freaking, like, hog. You know what I mean? So, right. eventually, <laughs> eventually, enough bus, a bus came to pick us up. In the meantime, there was, I remember these two little girls standing in line with us and they were both literally crying. It was so cold. Like, just standing there crying because they were so cold. Like, that's how cold it was. But eventually we get out of there, we go have this really big breakfast where everyone's talking about Punxsutawney Phil, and everyone in the town is like, it, it's like backwoodsy, like, it's like old southern hospitality nice, though. Like, everyone around is, like, super nice. And this one lady was like, oh, y'all are from California? He's like, She's like, you poor things, oh, bless you, I pray for Californians every day. She's like, y'all have all them fires and mudslides and earthquakes, and she's like, and your state is in... Your state is in such horrible debt. And I'm like laughing. I was like, yeah. I was like, I'm not in debt. I, <laughs> I was like, you don't need to pray for me. I'm fine. Like, I choose to live. <laughs> and she's like, oh, bless your heart. I just can't understand how people would want to live in California. She was really funny. And then there's this, there this old dude with no teeth. And he was reading the menu. And he goes, uh pancakes and hash browns for five dollars is a damn ripoff and jill and i start like laughing like kids you know <laughs> like we're thinking five dollars is a really good deal for pancakes and hash browns at a sit-down restaurant but whatever That's and awesome. so after breakfast we go back into town where they have sort of like a little fest like little fair set up and you think it's going to be this big deal right because like ten thousand people there but no you're in the middle of a tiny little town in the middle of nowhere so like we're going to like literally the local elementary school gymnasium to look at like Phil arts and crafts, like paintings of Phil that like kindergartners did and like, <laughs> like magnets that the fifth graders made and like little small time, small town hobbyists selling their little groundhog stuff. And then there's a place where you could go watch people get married. Cause apparently there's always a handful of people that want to get married in Punxsutawney on groundhog day. And the town supports this and you could just go be a guest at their wedding and watch them. And we tried to do that, but Jill got us lost because she's bad with maps. And anyway, long story short, we spent about half a day going to all this little quaint small town stuff, which was actually really, really fun and really, it was really cute. And and by the end of it, it was such like a rich sort of new experience. You know what I mean? Like you go to a beach, you know what you're going to get. You go to a big city, you know what you're going to get. But this was like everything that happened was so like kind of out of left field and unexpected and small town quaint it was just we just really loved it and appreciated it and uh yeah we i mean we wouldn't go back necessarily because it was 10 degrees and it's out in the middle of nowhere but i definitely think it was like worth going like we didn't regret it at all 
And uh, yeah, then we spent a few more days in Pittsburgh before we had to fly home because, you know, there's a lot more stuff to do there. But uh, yeah, it all, it, it pretty much all started with me watching this film on the airplane when I was eight years old, which led us to a sort of like a, a turtle spawning trek. You know, turtles will swim, you know, hundreds of miles to spawn and, and then die. And that's what I felt like we were there to do. We were there to spawn and then die in Punxsutawney. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm very happy that you got to go and uh, that you got to experience like the true movie feel of it, of it being like 10 degrees outside. Because if it would have been like 40 degrees or 50 degrees, like a nice, like mild, like winter day, like um, I, you, you wouldn't have got the full experience. Yeah, they had. <laughs> so when the dorky DJs were up there singing all their like parody songs, there was all these like high school girls that were like cheerleaders and they were trying to do, like, dance moves to the songs, but they all, like I said, they all looked like that kid in A Christmas Story because they were so layered up and bundled up that they couldn't do the moves very well. So there was just a lot of, like, half-assed dance. Like, everyone was just so cold, and everyone had to have hats on and earmuffs on because your ears would literally fall off. And, uh... Yeah, I was going to ask, did you, like, did you... Did you know to pack that? Yeah, yeah. Pack that much? I mean, luck. I mean, here's the truth. I'm like a weak ass California boy these days. Like, I do not handle cold well at all anymore. I used to be kind of okay when I was from Spokane. I'm not from Spokane anymore, and I cannot handle cold. And Jill and I had been watching the forecast, and like the weeks leading up to it, that whole region of the country was all like single digit weather, and we're starting to look at each other like, oh fuck, and we're like, we cannot let the cold ruin this vacation. Like, we really want to go, so we. We invested the right way in all of our clothing. I ended up taking my hunting boots with me, which are these like giant like woods boots that took up like a third of my suitcase, but it was totally worth it because my feet were mostly fine. And, uh, you know, several, several layers. I took my long johns, a scarf, mittens, you know, uh, ear warmers, you know, everything you can think of I had on. And Jill bought those little hand warmers that, you know, you put in your pocket and you kind of move them around. So anyway, it all worked out. Like more or less, we we dealt with the cold pretty well, I would say. There was a bunch of tourists there that did not come prepared, and they looked so fucking miserable. (laughs) (laughs) And the locals kept talking about that, about how they hate these really cold groundhog days because it makes the tourists never want to come back. And I thought, oh, that's kind of sad. But like, anyway, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Thanks for hearing me out. No, for sure. Uh, th- it sounds like, I mean, I don't think I ever want to go to Groundhog's Day, but it sounds like it would be like a fun thing to like to go do. And, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, well, uh, maybe, we, maybe we've we talked a long time, um, surprisingly, about Groundhog Day. Um, I, I, I did want to, I guess, like, the the real, I mean, so getting back to the movie and about the, you know, I want to talk about, like, the real, like, the creator, like, behind, the writer of the movie and the director, I mean, co-writer. Um, Harold Ramis, he, you know, he unfortunately passed away in like 2014, but, um, and we were going to talk about like some of his, you know, other films he's done. Like he's, like he's known for doing, you know, Caddyshack, Animal House, um, Meatballs, Stripes, like those four movies like were made in like the, in, in four consecutive years. And then he did Ghostbusters, um, and kind of, he just, he wrote, he made all these great 80s characters and, uh, and, and this really like, honestly was his, like, I would say his swan song, his last, like, last really good story. Like, um, 
And I just want to say, like, it was it, uh, this is like when you look at when you look back, what of all the films I just named, this of like in the nineties, like this is you know like probably the last like great Harold Ramis uh, movie, and and it's unfortunate because he he made you know some of the most you know some of the best comedies like even like today like back in the day you know um so yeah i just want to i just want to say that say that about him he also played uh egon in in back to the future he wasn't in, he wasn't known Ghost, much for ghostbusters Ghostbusters. i don't know if he's well known for, yeah in ghostbusters i don't know if he's well known for how good of an actor he was but he definitely he definitely did his share of like um, yeah, I think he, movies he, in the eighties. He was he was more of a mind, I think, than an actor, as evidenced by the bevy of screenplays that he had produced. Like, let me tell you, like as like a wannabe screenwriter, this dude is like a legend. Like this dude wrote, like you said, Meatball, Caddyshack, Stripes, Ghostbusters, Ghostbusters Two, Back to School, um, Armed and Dangerous. He co-wrote um, Groundhog Day, Bedazzled, like analyze this analyze that like i know not all of these are hits but what you need to understand is these are these are ideas in his head that he wrote down on a piece of paper and hundreds of other people with millions of dollars said i love that idea we need to create this idea so that other people can watch it and if you have any idea the, the kind of buy-in you need from people to actually get a film made in hollywood even when you have the poll like like Harold Ramis did, like even when you're that successful to get this many movies made over the course of time that he did, it's like, it's really, really rare. Like there's, there's probably a list of, you know, 50 guys that have credentials like this, like all, you know what? Not even maybe like 20 guys all time that have this kind of a screenwriting list to their name, especially when it comes to comedies. Like, like so many comedies are just, or comedy writers that write one or two good ones and they're done. But like, he just, Brennan's right. We just want to tip the cap to our late, uh, great Harold Ramis, who directed this awesome movie that we're spending an hour out of our days right now in our mid-30s to talk about because we love it so much. And that's the kind of impact that writers have that non-writers don't don't really understand. That's why we do it. That's why writers do it. Because maybe someday, in 25 years after I make Groundhog Day, two 34-year-old men will be sitting, like, alone, like, talking about it on an internet podcast that other people will listen to and talk about it, too. Like, that, the kind of impact that a story can have on somebody's life and, and what they do with that, it's, it's, it's not something you can put into words, and it's not something you can put a value on, but it means everything to a writer. And this dude, with his credits, has affected so many people in a positive way. So, yeah, tip of the cap to right. him and uh, RIP. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing I'll say about the whole about this movie too, and something that's kind of sad is that this movie did kind of ruin uh, Harold Ramis's and Bill Murray's relationship uh, for whatever reason. I don't. There's probably plenty of stories that I could have got into online to like learn about. All I know is that they kind of butted heads on like the direction of the film, and they just didn't get along, and it kind of ended a uh, a friendship. And they didn't actually ever. They didn't ever reconnect until until Harold Harold Ramis was on his like deathbed, which is unfortunate. Like and what I will say to that is like don't let a friend being on his deathbed like ruin your friendship because like I mean, I don't know like if Harold Ramis had any other movies up his sleeve after this that you know, with Bill Murray, but like whatever the if there if there were any, we 
we lost that, <laughs> unfortunately. Um, and they were, cause they were just, you know, like I said, like we named all those movies and I, I'd be with the exception of meatballs, which I don't think Bill Murray is in, you know, they made some really good comedies together. So, well, and, I'm, I'm reading something online real quick as you're talking that said at the, at the time of filming, and I'll just read this on uprocks.com. Murray's life was tumultuous. His marriage was dissolving. His demeanor on set was increasingly erratic. He would show up late to work, throw tantrums, and generally disagree with many of Ramus's choices. While Ramus wanted the, wanted the film to be a straightforward comedy, Murray wanted the film to be more contemplative. Uh, with with their professional relationship at Strain, Ramus sent Rubin to work with Murray on the script. Rubin's the, other screen, the main screenwriter. In lieu of their usual collaborative writing sessions, when Ramus would call to check up on their progress, Murray would ignore the phone calls. So... Sounds like Bill Murray was going through a tough time in his life, and he didn't handle it particularly well. And he let his work, he let that affect his work. And I know a lot of professional people that think that's a that's a shitty thing to do, especially on a film when you've got kind of the power that Bill Murray has. Like if you're Howard Ramis, you're trying to put together a good film, and you've got hundreds of people working on this film that, or you're at the center of it. The least you could do is be professional. So I'm sure that that's probably the crux of what happened. Right. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, it, I mean, even with, even with, even with that, even with all the, you know, stuff that was going on between them, they still came together and made this amazing, amazing film, which, you know, you said earlier had uh, like a 96 on Rotten Tomatoes. And surprisingly, I was, I was looking at some of its uh, like nominations and I was very surprised to see that like it wasn't nominated for like an Academy Award um, from like, 1993 and i don't without like going into anything i don't know what was nominated in 1993 but i think it was a silence um, of the lambs or no that was 91 oh was it silence uh yeah anyways i'm i'm sure it probably deserved a little bit more recognition it did win a bafta apparently people in england love this movie um and i don't even know if people in england have groundhog's day <laughs> but they but they love this movie <laughs> oh here i've got i've got it a Few Good Men, Unforgiven was the winner. So A Few Good Men, Unforgiven, The Crying Game, Scent of a Woman, and Howard's End. Who, who won Best uh, Original Screenplay? Uh, Does it have that? Best Original... Best Original Screenplay. Spelled poorly because I'm in a hurry. Um... Uh, I don't see who won it, but I have the nominees. It oh, it looks like Woody Woody Allen won it for Husbands and Wives. If I'm reading this right, oh gosh, it sucks. Anyway, can I just say real quick off off topic? I don't like Woody Allen. I don't find him that funny. I I don't find his movies that funny. I think they're all just weird and neurotic and odd, and they don't go anywhere. They're awful. Yeah, I don't like Woody Allen that much either. Not just because of that but because of like what a like terrible person yeah, yeah without even getting into all the pedophilia and all that. <laughs> all right well um anyways well i mean yeah we talked a lot about this show a lot longer than uh than i thought oh we you would. know what but, yeah. you know what mistake mistake error the original screenplay winner was the crying game um the crying Woody game. allen was just a nominee i'm sorry we all, we all remember the crying game i don't remember i don't remember um, all i know is got that funny scene with ace ventura after he kisses the woman 
You know, it's like, I don't know really. all there is to know about the crying game. It's when Ace realizes that the cop is a man and he kissed her. And he's like showering and crying. And <laughs> yeah, we'll, have to do that. we'll have to do that movie someday. All right. Uh, Anyways, but yeah, let's um, let's kind of wrap it up. Um, yeah, so we, we really appreciate you guys supporting us. Um, Brennan plugged some of our social media stuff at the beginning. Please do that. He's dying to give out his $25 gift card. So you can do that. Email us, Facebook us, or Twitter us at uh, Super 90s Brothers. And uh, for Brennan Pointer, I am Adam J. Pitzler. This has been another awesome episode featuring Groundhog Day. Go watch it. Let us know what you think. Email us, and we will talk to you soon. I'll see you this weekend, buddy. Peace, and uh, yeah, we'll be back next week with an episode. We're going to be doing one of our favorite Super Nintendo games, arcade games, Street Fighter 2. Oh! Uh, probably, probably cover a couple of the different Street Fighters, but particularly the SNES version. Charlie, you can- and, uh, and I'll just uh, I'll end it with this. Um, hopefully I picked the right one. Oh, uh, will you be checking out today, Mr. Connors? Chance of departure today, 100%. I see you, man. All right. Peace out, guys. Peace out, guys.